You're listening to the Faith Unpacked Podcast. Welcome back to the Faith Unpacked Podcast. This is episode 191 with Jamie and Jason. And today we're going to be talking about forgiveness. We want to talk about forgiveness in particular from a Christian perspective. Why is so why is forgiveness so central to Christianity? Why is it such a, a big deal that we are really, if we're preaching the gospel, constantly talking about forgiveness? And we want to talk about why that's unique to Christianity, because I would guess that Jamie, a lot of people today take for granted this concept of forgiveness. Um, some people think it's owed that you forgive someone. Others will say things like you should forgive because that will make you feel better. Like you've heard the common quote, um, resentment is um, like swallowing poison and hoping someone else falls over dead. And and so forgiveness is the the remedy for you. It's actually healing for you. And that's the reason to forgive. And then there's people today that are actually attacking the whole concept of forgiveness, saying that it's a injustice because especially when we think about like the Me Too movement and uh, Black Lives Matter and a lot of these social justice movements, what has been emphasized is we we as victims should not forgive. Not only not only that we we don't need to forgive um, our, our, our perpetrator or, or whoever has uh, harmed us, but we, we should not forgive. And the argument is that forgiving people always damages justice. It, it leads to more people doing the same injustice, this is causing the same harm. And so we should not forgive because it lets people off the hook. And so into this conversation, we want to talk about what Christianity highlights what the Bible speaks about this, because obviously the Bible has a lot to say about justice too, and it has a lot to say about many of these other virtues that are signaled in our culture, but it does so from a more authentic foundation is is what we're going to be arguing. And forgiveness really is, is something that when you take the heart of Christianity out, the, the message of God coming in the flesh, coming to sacrifice himself for us, atoning for our sins and and satisfying justice. Without that, you really have no ultimate foundation for forgiveness. So this is some of the things I think would be good to talk about. Um, but I think, Jamie, just for starters, it's it's good to to emphasize this. So when people say forgiveness leads to injustice what are what are some of your reactions just to that initial argument that's been going on uh, we've seen it in various articles in the new york times and other uh other folks who have legitimately been victimized they've been attacked uh wrongfully but now they're saying some of them are saying that forgiveness is is wrong because it lets people off the hook what's your initial reaction to that yeah it it is a very good question and a very real question, because I think everybody will face this question at some point in their life. If they haven't already, 
they will, right? Because we're broken people and broken people are have a tendency to hurt other people. That's just how it works, right? Not, not that, because um, we contend like very few people other than like sociopaths or psychopaths actually go out intending to hurt other people, right? That's, it, it really isn't the direct um, thing that, that that person, that particular person is trying to do. Yet the result is though, people will hurt you and I think it's fair to keep in context in mind that we also will hurt others. So it goes both ways, right? It's a lot like the one of the buzz topics in our culture today is bullying, right? That's another one of those, along with the Me Too and all these other things. And the reality is everybody has been a bully at one point or another, and everybody has been bullied. And so when you realize that, it kind of definitely takes you off that moral soapbox, uh, so to speak. And, and, but that said, though, we, we definitely aren't attempting to um, dismiss other people's pain. And there is legitimately awful evil that has been perpetrated against people by other people. And there have been legitimately painful betrayals. There have been legitimate, uh, you know, relationship uh, enders, um, whether that be in marriage, through affairs, or just in, you know, community in general with friends, with church brothers and sisters, with community members more broadly. And I think, Jason, one of the biggest things is we have this mindset that if I forgive somebody, then I'm saying what they did is okay, or that I'm allowing them to just turn around and do it to me again. And neither of those things are true, are are a proper understanding of forgiveness, right? Forgiveness is more about the action of what is happening. And ultimately, our forgiveness is us giving up the right to be um, in a place of revenge or the right to be in a place of holding on to that. Like I can and will hold this against you forever. That isn't to say you're putting them in a position to do it again, or you're saying what they did was not horrifically evil um, because God himself does not ever say that our sin is okay, right? The work of Jesus on the cross did not mean that our sin becomes okay, that all this injustice or evil or wrongs, even to God himself, right? Most most sin directly is an offense to God himself because it's a violation of his holiness. It's a violation of, you know, the glory that is specifically due him when you're thinking of like idolatry where we're literally taking what only belongs to God and we're giving it to other things. Uh, you know, all these kinds of things, absolute affronts, um, and and God never says that's okay, but at the same time, that has no impact on forgiveness because that is a whole separate thing. And so, Jason, I think that's even before, you know, fundamentally turning to Scripture, I think you have to make clear to a lot of people that get that they have this so mixed up in their head um, that, hey, don't tune out because we're talking about forgiveness when we want to actually 
build a biblical foundation of what forgiveness actually is and actually looks like. That's what we're talking about when we say forgiveness. Yeah, it's it's important to clarify because that's this is the heart of the issue. And, you know, while we do want justice in the fullest sense, we want justice because that's part of how God designed us as image bearers of God. We don't want to see wrongdoers and abusers um, not be brought to justice. That's important. However, the forgiveness that we seek has to be based in Christ. It, it, it can't be based in um, some kind of self-realization or, or something like that. Um, you know, I, I think of this also relates to just how Christianity brings a unique voice in, in terms of historically. Um, a lot of historians have commented on how forgiveness was not really prized by like the ancient Greeks, ancient Roman Romans, ancient Anglo-Saxons, they, 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 what they valued, what they saw as the highest virtues were things like wisdom, justice, courage, courage in battle, courage to, to stand up for your own honor. But there was very little said about the value of mercy and forgiveness. And, you know, really the best example you have, sometimes people will talk about pity. Uh, and, and just an example of this is, in the Iliad by um, by Homer, there's there's this story about um, Hector, the the prince of Troy, killing Patroclus, and Patroclus is a good friend of Achilles, and Achilles, to protect Patroclus's honor and to protect his own honor, he vows vengeance. He says Hector's got to die for this, and so he goes and he challenges Hector and he kills Hector. And not only does he kill him, he desecrates his body by dragging his body around behind his chariot. And, and, and so he takes him back to his to his encampment. And it's later that King Priam shows up. Uh, this is Hector's father. And he says, look, Achilles, you could you could kill me right now, too. But all I ask is that you have pity on a father and give me my son's body back give me, so we can do a proper funeral. And um and Achilles, it says that Achilles had pity because he, he he saw in Priam, he saw what, what any father would want. Uh, but that's not forgiveness. There's nothing in there about, uh, you know, he's forgiving him for his wrong or in any way forgiving Hector. What, what clearly rules the day is protecting honor, protecting one's own honor, and carrying out vengeance. And so when Christianity came onto the scene with this message of forgiveness, where you even have in the first centuries of Christianity, um, guys like Cyprian would, uh, he, he, speak, he was preaching in the third century, third century, and he would tell his, his, his church, look, you're suffering right now. You are being persecuted. You're, many of you have, have lost your jobs. You've, you've been running and hiding. Uh, some of you have even been threatened with losing your life. But we cannot seek vengeance. He, he, he preaches, he has a famous uh, sermon uh, on, on doing good to your enemies. And you think, well, where did he get this idea? Because everybody else in history didn't value loving your enemies. Well, of course, it goes back to Jesus. Jesus himself was the embodiment of loving one's enemies. Not only did he teach this in the Sermon on the Mount, that you're to love 
not just your friends, but also your enemies, uh, and to pray for those who persecute you. But he lived it. He was treated horribly. He was whipped and beaten and mocked and crucified. And it's from the cross that he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you see that example right away. It's picked up in the book of Acts. Stephen says almost the same thing. He's, he's about to be stoned by the religious leaders of Jerusalem. And, and he's about to be stoned because he's preaching Jesus as Messiah, uh, the one that they crucified. And, and he says the same basic thing, hold, do not hold this sin against them, Lord. And, and we know it's not just a matter of, well, he's, he's trying to, you know, trying to make himself look good because he's about to be killed, right? It's not a matter of um, like a politician might do a, a certain act of forgiveness just as a show. No, this is a man who's about to be killed and he knows it. And he's saying, Father, forgive him in the same way that Jesus did. Um, and so even in that, we see that justice was not overlooked. When, when Jesus died on the cross, really the, the ultimate purpose is so that both the love of God and the justice of God would be satisfied. And you, you can't actually have one without the other. And, and this, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. When you see in Exodus 34, you know, Moses is saying to Yahweh, the God of Israel, Yahweh, I want to, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. I just want to know what you are like. And God tells Moses, you can't see me, Moses, you die if you saw me because the holy majesty and presence of God's face would just obliterate you. You're a sinner, Moses. You can't do that. But he does say, but I will declare my name. And by that, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to declare my character, who I am, what I am like. And it's in that passage. It's actually, interestingly, the most repeated passage in the Old Testament after uh, God first says this. But he, it says that in uh, Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, uh, excuse me, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so, Jamie, a lot of people, they look at this passage and it's like they're looking at it seems to be a paradox or, or an antinomy. Um, it, it doesn't make sense at first. How is it that God can say, well, I'm slow to anger. I, I forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. So I'm a forgiving God, but in the same breath, but I'm not going to let anybody off the hook. I, I will by no means clear the guilty. And this same concept of God, God is not one who, um, declares the wicked righteous that comes up in uh in in the book of proverbs he he says he says to israel uh through solomon he says do not declare the righteous wicked or excuse me do not declare the wicked uh righteous because 
that would that would be an abomination. That'd be a, a violation of true justice to say to the one who had murdered someone, to the one who had uh, been a thief or whatever, done horrible thing, to say, hey, that guy is righteous. You can't do that. That's that's not how justice works. And so in that, you have that 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 question that kind of comes out of that text, how can God be both forgiving of sin and always uh, judge the guilty? How can that be? Um, and Jamie, what are your thoughts as far as what, how that is resolved in Christianity? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And especially is, I think, even more somewhat confused today in that a lot of Christians want to boil down the work of Jesus to simply, oh, God loved you. And so he went to the cross for you. And it's just, you know, it's a sappy love fest. Um, and that is true, right? That is that is literally the plan of God, the eternal son, God, very God, uh, took on human form, uh, flesh, still fully God, fully man, and went to the cross. And, and we know that's important, right? He has to be fully God because only God can bring salvation. You know, think of Isaiah 43, uh, 10 and 11, right? Yahweh alone is the one who saves. Uh, it's not something a human could do. And we also see in places like Romans chapter 5, uh, this, this recognition that for payment to be sufficient, it also has to be human for human, right? You can't substitute the penalty of sin with something else, right? We see this even Hebrews chapter 10, where the sacrifice of bulls and goats was insufficient to, to resolve sin, right? To deal with human sin. Why? Because they weren't human, right? It wasn't a one-to-one -one substitute. It's, it's like substituting um, a steak for a banana, right? You're not going to get the same potassium. Well, actually, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I, I used a bad analogy because I'm not a, I'm, I don't know my science that well. So, but something like that, you're, you're, you're trying to replace one thing with something totally unlike it and expecting that to be sufficient. And it is not. So the miracle of salvation is the fact that it takes uniquely God and it takes uniquely man. And the only fusion of that could come in Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man, one plus one is one. Uh, it's, a, it's a, you know, so Jesus alone was sufficient to do that. But the other thing you need to realize is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross did not just restore us in relationship with God. It also resolved the penalty of sin. Literally, the, the entire wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, right? Isaiah 53 uh, gives us uh, a picture of that, right? It was God's perfect will to crush the Son, to, to literally bring the full weight of sin and death to bear on Jesus. God did not pardon anybody. There was no wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you're good. That didn't happen. It was literally the full weight, the full penalty of sin was born on Jesus on the cross. The full wrath of God completely paid for. So Jesus 
restores in relation to relationship to the father, but he also dealt with literally took the entire penalty and punishment of all human sin forever. And Jason, you know, we don't know exactly how that worked uh, in, in terms of what was the payment like for Jesus. You know, there's been lots of extra biblical speculation about that over the years. But what we do know is that Jesus was uniquely sufficient to deal with all sin. And he did. He took on all of that wrath on himself. And so you recognize, Jason, that um, it's, not a, it's not a pretty picture. It isn't just a, a lovey-dovey, um, God loves us, so Jesus died for us, and then he just took a little nap. It was, it was nice. Uh, no, Jesus suffered and died, and he took the full wrath of God uh, on himself for all of our sin. Uh, you know, and I think, Jason, one of the things is we have to stop and recognize that, right? Um, just like Jesus tells us when we are to pray, you know, he, he teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that we are asking for our own debts to be forgiven. Um, so how could we then not offer that forgiveness to others, right? When, when I recognize literally what my sin cost Jesus, that, that Jesus literally took the full wrath of all my sin, it's not a joke anymore, right? Now, not forgiving that other person who slighted me slightly uh, becomes dramatically less important, right? Or I mean, it becomes dramatically less a thing when I realize Jesus took all this and didn't have to, chose to, was, you know, God was happy to do this for us uh, because that's the love side, right? That you're talking about. That's that desire. God wanted reconciliation with his people. He wanted that to happen. And, and um, so he was happy to do it, but there, it came at a great cost. And when I really understand that, Jason, it definitely changes my attitude about these things, right? It definitely changes my heart about these things. And I think honestly, when we're unwilling to forgive, we've really lost sight of that reality. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is it, forgiveness is just one of those things you can't like hold out in the abstract realm forever, you know, because it's it obviously it speaks into our situation and our relationships. We can't help but be affected by what Jesus did for us. And that's that's the point of one of Jesus's parables. Um, but I do want to, I want, I want us to think about that. What does forgiveness look like practically? How do we live out the kind of forgiveness that Jesus calls us to, uh, when he talks about loving enemies and, and to make a real practical, I think looking at an example from the Bible and then thinking about how that example, uh, relates to our own lives will be helpful here. Um, this is from first Samuel 25. And if you know the story of David, this is David on the run, not King David in Jerusalem where everybody loves him, but David when he's being chased by Saul. Saul, who is the current king of Israel, wants David dead because he's jealous of him because David's, frankly, better than Saul on every level. Like he's godlier. He's a better warrior. Everybody loves David more. He's more of a friend. He's, he's a better friend to Jonathan 
uh, and loves Jonathan, Saul's son, more than Saul even does. And, and so Saul, even though David has done amazing things for him, like taking down the giant Goliath, Saul hates David, and David has been showing that he is still loyal to Saul. And that's what's kind of incredible about it, is he has every opportunity to kill Saul, but he chooses to not do that. He says, who am I, basically, to, to kill the anointed one, the one that God has set up as king? And in between two of those stories where David is telling Saul, I, can, I could have killed you, Saul, but I chose not to. I, I, I chose... I want to I prove to you because I have, here's your spear and your jug that you were sleeping by. And here's your part of your robe that I, I just to prove that I could have killed you, but I didn't. Um, in between those two stories is the story of Abigail and her husband, Nabal or Nabal, you might say. Um, so what happens is David and his men, he's got 600 mighty men of valor. And these guys are protecting sheep on behalf of um the the owner the the guy who owns all these sheep his name is Nabal and he has uh, his shepherds um, have been well well protected by David's men and so David hoping that he has been basically getting on Nabal's good side learns that there's a feast coming and guess what he's got a lot of hungry soldiers to feed and so he's thinking okay well we've been helping you out Nabal and he sends a message to him saying. If you could just feed my men, since we have been obviously protecting your men, we've been like a wall to them, is what the Bible says, uh, protecting them on every side. If you could just feed our men, that would be that'd be wonderful. And Nabal's response is that he is uh, he's he's angry and he's belligerent. And he says, who's David? Like, like, what does he matter? And, and how do I know I can trust you guys? And he compares them to, to slaves that have run away from their masters. And he just totally insults David. Basically says, you, you could be a common criminal. There's no way I'm helping you out. And so David's response, uh, as anybody's emotional response in the moment, uh, was, okay, this guy's got to pay. And he tells his men, Strap on your swords. We're going to go deliver the knockout punch to this fool. And that's what his name actually means. Nabal means fool. He says, look, we were kind to him and he's totally thrown it back to our face. He's insulted us. Let's go get him. And so he leaves with 400 of the men, 200 stay back to guard the supplies. But the crucial character in this story isn't really David or Nabal, but Abigail, Nabal's wife, because what Abigail does is very christ-like so what she does is she learns about nabal's insult and she learns about what david wants to do payback vengeance and she goes out to to meet david on the way and and she basically just throws herself on the ground in front of him and 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 says humbly she says you have been insulted and it was wrong and you are a great man i know that Yahweh, our God, is going to have you be king. I know that. She, so she's expressing faith in God. But what she does is she says, please forgive the trespass of your servant. Talking about Nabal. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord, David, a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of Yahweh. And, and she says, you know, if, if you don't go through with this, if you don't kill Nabal and all the men that belong to him, 
then you will be spared from the pangs of conscience later. She talks about that in verse 11 or uh, verse 31 rather. And, and so she says, look, I'm, I'm not just looking out for Nabal. I'm looking out for you, David, because this is going to be on your conscience. If you go and kill them, it's going to be on your conscience. And so she pleads with David to forgive her idiotic husband. And, and David, you can just see it in the text. He is like, he has a 180. He, he's like, whoa, I realize his emotional response was wrong. And, but then I was going to respond with an emotional response that was wrong. And here's this, this woman, Abigail, who is clearly thinking righteously about all this. She wants me to forgive the wrong. Um, and she doesn't want me to respond with a greater wrong of killing him. And more than that, she's pointing out things that God wants me to see. Because he says, I know that the Lord, the God of Israel, sent you today to meet me. And, and it's in that moment, it's this beautiful moment where he, he says, look. I'm not going to go through with this. You're right. I don't want these. I don't want this to be on my conscience. She goes back and she's <laughs> the, the man who she, she just saved her husband's life. He's drunk. He doesn't care. And he, when he learns about what she did for him, it says that his heart turns to stone. Like he's just cold hearted. He's, he's just a wicked man. 10 days later, the words of the Bible say, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Now, obviously the, the message of that story isn't uh, don't take revenge because hopefully God will get them for you. Like hopefully he'll kill them for you. No, it's not that, but it's that if there's going to be true peace, true reconciliation and true forgiveness, you have to be able to overlook insults. You have to be able to overlook wrongs and and even this is before Christ, uh, before he's on the cross, before any of that. But Abigail is is acting as the mediator. She's standing between two men who hate each other. And she's saying, look, this isn't going to resolve anything. This is only going to add guilt upon guilt. The only way forward is forgiveness. You got to forgive him. And her words just speak right to David's soul. Uh, and as things turn out, he ends up marrying Abigail. Uh, kind of a, a bonus uh, result from all of this is that he gets to marry her um, because her husband has died. So theological principle is forgive and you'll get a wife. No, I'm kidding. That's, that's <laughs> totally a joke. No, but Jason, I do think, I, I do think the thing is like when we're wronged or when there's injustice or where there's hurt or I think our human nature response is that I'm now justified in my attitude, behavior, action, and we're not, right? That's that's the thing. Like, you know, I, I think of um, one of the reframes that you often see in scripture is to, to recognize that it is the Lord who corrects wrongs. It, it's completely God's um, you know, one example of that is in Romans 12, you know, verse 19, where it says, uh, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And you see even just simple reminders of, of stuff like this, like obviously one one that I think a lot of guys have to keep in mind a lot is James 1 20. 
right? This idea that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, that I, I might be angry and it may be a legitimate reason, right? There may have been a legitimate wrong. And yet what wells up in me is not righteous, right? What wells up in me is not godly. What I want to do, and I, I think the best example of this, Jason, that I can think of is like, you know how sometimes you're reading the news and you see an article about a, somebody who abused a child or something like that, and you feel this anger, right, well up in your soul. And I think that's a legitimate thing, right? It's, it's a recognition there's been great injustice, that there's been great evil, and especially kids, you know, we feel even more... Uh, profoundly uh, for them because they're so innocent and vulnerable and, you know, and, and so you feel that. But then the next thought is what? Like, let's go burn down their house or let, you know, it's like it remarkably becomes ungodly in a vast hurry instead of recognizing, okay, God is, God is not one to mess with. And God will deal with these things, right? Galatians 6, 7, uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. That which we sow, we will reap. Uh, that, there, that, that God's justice, while it works different than our justice, and it looks different than our justice, and sometimes it takes a lot longer than the immediate justice I want in this moment, yet don't be fooled in thinking it doesn't happen or it won't happen. And and I think even it's important to recognize that while God forgives us our sin through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, he does not take away the consequences of our sin. And for some people, they, they live with that uh, in whatever form that looks like. I think it takes lots of different forms. And sometimes it is a generational thing that, that goes on, um, in a sense, uh, affecting things for, you know, several generations. Uh, that's a real thing. Uh, and it's a real serious thing. But recognize it's not our thing. Um, and, and then the last, you know, thought in relationship to that I have is, you know, thinking of, I often think of the words uh, that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he's talking to them and he's scolding them for their lawsuits against each other, right? These these brothers and sisters have real issues with each other. There's real hurt. There's real offense. There's real, you know, stuff. And and he, he makes a really interesting point uh, in verse 7, where he says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among uh, among you means you have um you have completely you are completely defeated already why not rather be wronged why not rather be cheated instead you yourself cheat and do wrong you do this to brothers and sisters uh and his point you know is is really getting to that heart right that says i am i've been wronged and probably legitimately so now I have the right to do whatever. And Paul's going, no, you don't, right? In fact, this is actually the point where uh, my character and my walk with the Lord matters more than ever. How I respond to being cheated, to being wrong, to being slighted, 
oftentimes is the most powerful example of the gospel anybody's going to see in their real life. And so, uh, so yeah, we have to recognize that uh, to forgive, I have to let go of the part that says I was wronged, therefore I have the right to get revenge, or I have the right to hold it against them, or I have the right to uh, continue to hold it and dwell on it and, and be angry about it for years and years to come, instead of what the, what the gospel calls us to do and what, what all of Scripture calls us to do, which is to let it go, say, okay, Lord, this is in your hands, and my job is to simply forgive, recognizing that you first forgave me much greater sin than this. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Unpacked podcast. We're so thankful for your time. We hope and pray that these encourage your faith and walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to hear past episodes, you can find them on our website at faithunpacked.com. We'd also invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcasting site. If you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on social media, or you can send us an email at faithunpacked at gmail.com. And we invite you back next time as we continue to unpack our faith together.